This is the Raj Mahal Show. Raj Mahal Show. I'm your host, Raju Kolaru, and with me today is one of my best friends for the past 10 years, Lucas Finucci. Hey guys, how you doing? 10, ten long so, years, huh? <laughs> 10 long years. Yeah. So a little bit of a background, Lucas is the co-founder and general manager of Nicholas Eatery in Malibu, California. It's right off the PCH. They opened in 2019. Yeah, September of 2019. And after, and that was after a lot of ups and downs. And I was there for that summer leading up to the opening. And it's been an amazing experience. I've eaten at the restaurant a few times now. And I just can't say enough nice things about it. So excited to talk and excited to, excited to hear about your journey, man. Yeah. I'm, uh, it's cool to be here, dude. It's cool that uh, you're starting this. Like, uh, I mean, we talked about it for a while. We talked about doing a podcast and. Sometimes getting started is the hardest part, you know? Yeah, and definitely. And uh, on that note, we also, as along with uh, Nicholas Eatery, that's the name of the restaurant, by the way, if I did not mention that, um, along with uh, the restaurant, Lucas and his dad, the co-owner, Nicholas Finucci, or I guess owner. Yeah, uh, he's the owner. <laughs> he's, he's the owner, Nicholas Finucci. Has a they have a podcast together, the We Chef podcast that you can listen to on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, and it's a great, great kind of inside look into life in the restaurant industry and kind of getting to that. Like, we're, and we're going to talk about you know being being in the restaurant industry. You're pretty much you're essentially an entrepreneur. You are an entrepreneur. You're a small business owner. We're going to talk about the struggles and kind of the ups and downs of what makes. A restaurant successful but uh, before we get into that i want to talk about kind of how you and i know each other so like i said we met i believe was it the summer of 2012 yeah summer 2012 yeah 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 because uh i had just finished i had just finished school in uh northern california i was moving out and my parents were already there right yeah. okay so so talk about how you know someone who grew up in napa california Ended up in, you know, we we became teammates at the Upper Mainland YMCA in Berwyn, Pennsylvania. Talk about how that happened. Yeah, so I don't want to go too deep into uh, into it because you're gonna get it's a lot of stories. But um, my father was the general manager of the French Laundry in Napa Valley, um, and there were two guests who were coming to the French Laundry, who um, who had heard that we had been that we were about to move to Philadelphia. And um, my dad knew that they were from there and they, they, they were VIPs. So they had been coming for a very, very long time. Um, and my dad, you know, said, Hey, I need some help uh, moving to Philadelphia. Uh, and my son is a swimmer and he, uh, you know, I need, I want him to be with a good swim team and I want him to be in an area where he can make friends and, and just kind of, you know, just my, you know, just trying to figure it out. And uh, they said, you have to send him to Upper Mainline YMCA. And that's the reason why I went there. So originally, we weren't even planning on living that far out on the main line. But uh, my parents my parents moved us a lot when we were kids. So like every two years, it was we were moving to a new place. I mean, Florida, New Jersey, New York, California. 
um, it was constant. So they always made it an effort, even though that, you know, we were moving a lot. Maybe they, maybe it was a little bit more for them that we were moving, but uh, they always made the effort to make it for us in some way. So when we moved to Philadelphia, we moved to Malvern, Pennsylvania for me. You know, we could have moved anywhere closer to Philly, the city, you know, but instead we moved to the main line almost an hour outside of the main line. Um, and they did that for me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I got to upper main line and that's how, that's how we met. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember I walk in the office and you were sitting there. Um, we, our coach Glenn Newfeld, he's now the uh, head coach at Mercersburg Academy outside of kind of in the out, Western Pennsylvania somewhere. <laughs> it's its own little town. Um, <laughs> You know, I remember that, and like it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting how like after that, like ten years later, here we are. Like we both ended up back in California. You ended up back in California. I'm out here in California, like, and we just this this friendship just like evolved. And yeah. I think it would be pretty disingenuous if we didn't talk about the other four guys in our group. Yeah, definitely, because uh, it's it's the uh, it's a quite a diverse group of of gentlemen. <laughs> definitely so yeah lucas and i have four other best friends uh sam sapelic he's in the air force in stationed in ramstein germany david dudrier he works at the same company as i do now or you know i joined his company i'll put it that way uh he's a cpa at ernst and young in philadelphia and then aaron davis is uh aaron aaron and i met in fourth grade fourth grade and we he is a i guess strategy and analytics strategy and strategy analyst at uh kind of a uh, fintech startup there in la not too far from you and then another yeah. friend joe desantis who is a kind of renowned horse trainer yeah uh you know a very well, successful on the equestrian circuits yeah. and whatnot we never knew anything about him. He was kind of always an enigma in that sense. Yeah. Uh, Wait, but you know, what was that? He was always there, you know. But he's not. Yeah. <laughs> he's always just there, and we're like, "Oh, hey, Joe." Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but it's cool. I mean, Joe. Joe also was in the same fourth grade class as Aaron and I, and you know, so we we've been going strong since two thousand two thousand five, really. Mm-hmm. So it's that's long. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, kind of getting back to to you. So what like what drew you guys or brought you guys out to to Philadelphia? Uh, so like I was saying before, my dad was the general manager of the French Laundry, which you know anybody who's listening who doesn't know what the French Laundry is, Google. it's a laundromat, right? Yeah. What? Where you, it's a laundromat, right? Yeah, you it's can, a laundry place. Yeah. You Google it. <laughs> uh, but it's it's you know it's a very high-end restaurant uh at the time when my dad was there it was uh the third best restaurant in the world um long story short my dad was there for seven years and decided it was time for a change again um and in that time uh, we had already lived in philly uh when i was younger um and he was working as the general manager of a restaurant a very famous restaurant in philadelphia called le bec fin and when he had left uh, in I think it was maybe 2002 when he had left in 2002 the owner uh, said to him you know the only person I want to sell my restaurant to is you so when I'm ready and when you're ready let's talk 
And um, nine years later, he was ready to sell his restaurant. My dad was ready to take it over. And uh, and we moved. We moved within six months. So Wow. Yeah, so uh, we arrived to Napa Valley in the summer of 2005. And we left in the summer of 2012. But, okay. but in the time that that the owner of Lebec Fan contacted my dad and everything, he left within six months. So it was pretty quick, yeah. And uh, I guess, like, you know, the, I think people know Philadelphia and what Philadelphia stands for, like, culturally and as a city. Sure. And then I feel like not as many people maybe know about Napa Valley and about, like the culture and what is Napa Valley. So just, I think, but on the surface, most people can realize that these are two very different places. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like having a restaurant in Napa Valley and the culture of Napa Valley and life in Napa Valley? Yeah. And then the same for Philadelphia. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, uh, sorry, let me take a sip of water here. Cool. It's interesting comparison because, um, so Napa Valley is like, luxury right it's it's everything it's the farmhouse that is like luxurious you know it's the beautiful vineyards and the overwhelming amount of money and and um everything is done everything is just so thought through and it's so like just coordinated to that right so you go to napa valley because you're on vacation and because you and your fiance just got engaged and, you know, and you go there to wine taste and then to go around the little town Yontville where there's French Laundry, which is one of the best restaurants in the world. And you go have dinner there. And it's like that. That's that's the culture there. You know, it's it's fine dining. It's fine eating. It's living. It's it's, you know, it's wine country. I mean, you literally I mean, it's it's adult Disneyland, you know, in many ways, because it's just this overwhelming amount of alcohol and and you know lux and so growing up there as a kid is difficult because when you're 15 years old you're not drinking i mean my dad's the general manager of the french laundry okay but nobody else's dad was you know so i wonder what they were thinking you know and you you you're just living around all of this stuff that's going on and you can't even take part in it you know so mm -hmm. it was it was interesting cuz it almost felt like a dead end in a way you know, it's like, oh, man, I hope I get out of this town, you know. But meanwhile, you have people like flying in to eat at the French Laundry quick, you know, or you have people coming <laughs> to taste to taste wine with Robert Mondavi. I mean, you have like you have in, an insane amount of just like history and, and, and money. Um, and then you go to Philly and Philly is I mean, as you and I know, like Philly's blue collar working city. uh very young in many ways, you know, like there's young people there. There's, it's lively. It's, it's happening. You know, the food scene, I mean, the food scene in Philadelphia is like one of the coolest things to watch because it's like, it's ever changing and it's fast, you know? And yeah. there's some amazing things happening in Philly. So going there, I mean, I didn't appreciate it at first. Obviously I'm 16, 17 years old leaving my home in Napa Valley where I was just, you know, I was just there for seven years, I'm leaving all my friends. I had a girlfriend at the time, leaving the girlfriend, 
you know, and I'm going to Philly and I'm like, what am I going to do in Philly? You know? And, uh, yeah, it's, it was, it's a culture shock, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, it's funny. I want to, I want to like kind of trail back on something. You said Napa Valley is like the Disneyland for adults. Yeah. Cause I, cause I swear people say that about Las Vegas. And so I'm like trying to imagine my compare Napa and Las Vegas in my head. And I guess, I guess there are some similarities there, but these are also two very different places. So it's just a very funny, funny analogy for that, but it makes a lot of sense. No. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's wine. Like it's like, it's wine. It's, it's great eating. I mean, there's, so there's the French laundry, but then there's like a ton of other restaurants that are amazing. Like there's some great chefs in Napa Valley. Yeah, definitely. Funny story. Uh, after my internship in 2018, Lucas was in. You were still you were in LA back in LA at the time, Beverly Hills, right? Yeah. Yeah, Lucas and our and our friend Aaron, we all met up in San Francisco. And the last day of my internship, we drew we drove up to Napa. I, I'm here in San Francisco, so we drove up to Napa Napa Valley, and we had a wine tasting and Opus One at Opus One Winery. And by the way. I'm a little bit better now, but I, you know, I'm, I never really like grew up around wine, right? Like my parents don't drink wine and I never really knew much about wineries and how you're supposed to act and stuff there. <laughs> so, you know, without even thinking, you know, they're, they're kind of talking about this. Opus One is a very, very, very good wine and uh, or it's a winery. So well, it's a winery a, or a wine? Like how wine, would you even it's say wine. It? It's wine. Opus One okay. is the, Opus One is the label, uh, but it's, it's. It's the wine that basically helped Napa Valley become Napa Valley. Right. Okay. So bottom line is it's a very prestigious place. That's right. And I really don't know that. I, at this time, I, I would say I'm better now, but I don't know Opus 1 from Franzia. So <laughs> I'm kind of sitting there. And apparently, I can't actually verify this story, but I'm going to trust my two friends who were there at the time staring at me. That I'm just they're tasting this wine and I'm just tapping the glass against my teeth. Well, it's it's very, a very crystal, loud. crystal, <laughs> a crystal. It's all crystal stemware, and Raju is just like tapping it on his like tooth, and I'm just ready for this wine glass to shatter in his mouth. Um, but no, that's why. You know what? Though no, that's cool. That was cool. We had a great time there. Yeah, that was great. And then after that, we and mind you, we are all 22 years old, kind of just. You both had just graduated. I was going back into my senior year, like my grad year. Like we were just these young kids and we went to Bouchon and yeah. that's another restaurant there in Napa. It's a Thomas Keller restaurant too, right? That's right. right. Yeah. The same, Thomas Keller is the same owner and uh, chef of the French Laundry. And, you know, we're just these three 22-year-old kids sitting there just getting like this. Uh, just like the works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the chef is coming up and talking to us and they're just coming up. And then at the very end, they're like, uh, don't worry. Like, you know, we're friends of your dad. Just taking care of. And everyone's just kind of looking at us like, who are these kids? Yeah. Like, <laughs> definitely a, one of the coolest experiences. We had a blast. Life. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a great time. It was. It was. Um, so, yeah. I mean, so we know, like, your story of kind of growing up in the restaurant industry uh, with your talk a little bit about your dad, like just Nicholas Finish. Sure. And, yeah. You know, that can kind of segue us into, you know, what you what you guys are doing now. Yeah. I try to give you a quick, quick story cause he has a long one, but, um, he, um, he was born in the South of France in Cannes and, um, 
grew up around food. I mean, in, if you're a French, already in France, there's an appreciation for food and culture and wine. And so he, he was growing up around that. Um, and at the age of 16, he decided school wasn't for him anymore. Uh, and uh, which, you know, at the time was kind of normal for, you know, the, the it was, I think it was maybe mid 1980s, you know, and he's, so he's, you know, he's like, I don't want to go to school anymore. I'm done with this stuff. And it um, wasn't a big deal, but his dad told him, hey, listen, you have 48 hours to find a job. If you don't find a job within 48 hours, you're out of the house. Like, I'm not going to be supporting someone who's just living here. So he said, okay, no problem. He went out, looked for a job. First job he got was as a, like a porter, which is essentially is like somebody who cleans the restaurant and cleans the bathrooms and things like that um, at a restaurant that was owned by, at the time, France's most prestigious chef. So that was his first job, was working for a gentleman named Roger Verger, who uh, essentially goes on to open a restaurant in, um, in uh, I'm sorry, not Mougin, and it was called Le Moulin du Mougin. And uh, okay. this restaurant was insane. I mean, this restaurant was doing, did my dad was a server at Clint Eastwood's 50th birthday. Like, that's a pretty wow. insane. Yeah. So stuff like that. Um, so anyway, my dad goes on to work for this guy and, and um, he slowly climbs up the ranks. And then when he's 18 years old, he has to do his, um, his army service, you know, his uh, government service for, uh, for one year. And uh, so he tells Roger Verge, hey, I have to go. You know, I'm not going to have to work the next season. I have to go to the military. And he said, oh, don't worry. I got you. Calls the mil- he calls somebody that he knows and he gets my dad the job as the uh, server, the head server of the captain of the ship. And he ended up going on a trip for um, 80 days, 80 days, one year, but an 80 day trip where he um, has traveled the world. He went to Brazil, he came to California, he went to Tahiti and he did this round of the world. Uh, and then when he came back, he realized that living in the south of France was not going to be for him. Like he wanted more to life, you know. So he gets a job in Monaco, which is not too far outside of where he's from. Um, but Monaco is actually it's its own country. Um, and he's working for another famous chef named Alain Ducasse. And uh, Alain Ducasse uh, opened a restaurant there called Louis XV, which is still open today. And um, for anybody who knows Monaco, they probably know that restaurant because Monaco is a tiny, tiny country. Uh, so he starts working there, you know, realizes that he wants more, moves to London. In London, he works for uh, three or four amazing chefs um, and learns English and then decided that... That's important. What's up? <laughs> that that's kind of important. Yeah, he learns English, uh, and he's at the time now. He, I think he's like nineteen, maybe twenty, uh-huh. and then he decided uh, I want to go to America. So he signs up for the Disney uh, Exchange program, and he gets in. Uh, and then he flies to um, Orlando, Florida. You know, and uh, and then he started his. That's you know he worked for one year for Disney in Orlando. Um, as a server, which he said was one of the funnest years of his life because everything is paid for, you are paid, and you're just asked to work. So he said it was very, very uh, 
easy and fun. And also there's everybody who's there is in the same boat as you. So you're doing the same thing. Um, and then after that, once he finished his one year with Disney, he was like, I got to stay in America. I can't go back to France. So he moved to New York. And then from there, you know, things happened. He met my mom and, and uh, he hasn't left since. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, def- definitely crazy. Yeah. I mean, I I guess I've known your dad as long as I've known you yeah. for the past 10 years. And I've definitely seen, like, the, the, the growth of his career from when I met you. Sure, yeah. And also, like, kind of the ups and downs that you guys have gone through yeah. just before Nicholas Eatery. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, don't, we don't have to get into all that, but, I mean, I just – I think after, after, um, after Philadelphia, I think he ended up – you guys ended up in New York City, right, for at a Japanese Dharamaya? Yeah, he was then... working for a Japanese restaurant group. So we were, okay, yeah, we were over there. Yeah, and then I worked for them. Yeah, too. And I remember. Right, yeah, and I remember we we ate there once. I think that yeah. was senior year, so that was, that was a blast. Yeah, and yeah. Then, then it was back to to Beverly Hills mm-hmm. at Bouchon. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right, and then uh, and then it was Nicholas Eatery. Then Nicholas right? Eatery. Yep. Twenty. Okay, so yeah, so that's. You know that's gonna be that's that's where you guys are now. So, I guess um, you know from from my experience, I saw it kind of the plans and all that. And then, you know, I lived with you guys in the summer of 2019. Mm-hmm. I I was working in Orange County, and you know your family was gracious enough to let me crash with you guys, and that you know I can never thank them enough for that. Um, that was a good summer. But, that was a great summer. Yeah, uh, it's hard. There's there's summers when you don't have enough. You don't have that much responsibility, but you you still have. You're still making some good money. Like it's it's all a blast. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. Just kind of talk about like this, like kind of the ups and downs before the restaurant even opened in September that year. Yeah. So, uh, well, for to start, there was like. Um... In this winter of 2018, right before you came, there was a huge fire uh, in Malibu. And so, I mean, there was – let me start with this. We, Our original architect who was building out – helping us build out the restaurant um, did some wrong and kind of shady things. And we ended up getting in trouble for some stuff that, you know, which was kind of out of our control. But uh, we had to deal with so we were in in that moment in time, we were kind of like in this like weird limbo because we weren't even sure if we were going to open our restaurant. Um, and then the day that the city of Malibu came and said, hey, guys, you have to stop doing work. Like the permits have been inputted in, improperly um, was the day that the fire, the Wolseley fire started. And the Wolseley fire was very intense and uh, it really messed up Malibu. Um we didn't go back to the restaurant or start work again for I think like six weeks, which you know in construction six weeks of nothing is a lot. So, um, yeah, we you know we we decided that okay, so we're running out of money. We have to restart from zero, but we want to keep the dream alive. You know the dream's still there. So what do we do? And so we decided that we we're going to open a food truck. Um, and that food truck was going to be parked outside of the restaurant. And that was the start. That was really the start of Nicholas Eatery. That was the first day. You know? yep. Yeah. That was uh, that was an experience for sure. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, it was uh, it was funny. Like I would want to say when like if you know Lucas and all of us, like all the other guys, we uh, we tend to most of our kind of interactions with each other, with each other are just us messing around with each other, like any group of guys. But uh, you know, every morning I would be we both kind of get early starts to the day, so. I would be on my way from like my two hour commute through LA traffic to Huntington Beach. But usually we're kinda of out the door at the same time. I would see Lucas kind of maybe sitting in the car or something like that. I'd always go up to him, knock on the window and be like, What's up, dude? So like what are you up to today? And <laughs> the reaction would always be the same. Dude, I'm about to go sit on a fucking truck for fourteen hours. What do you mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean it's uh it's really just like it's it's cool like knowing that history of the restaurant because like it's really a, like a testament to like where the restaurant is now, and uh, you know, and we'll, we'll get, we're gonna get to that. But I mean, this is this is twenty nineteen. The doors opened in. I guess the the restaurant, the building officially opened September twenty nineteen. Right, that was yes, the 30, the opening ceremony, yeah. um, which was also a great night. Um, and then you know it leads up to twenty twenty, and I bet twenty twenty was a pretty smooth year, right? Like nothing really, really was going on that year, right? So I'm assuming yeah. everything just kind of went perfectly. That one was like cash flow positive and just really just not like that. <laughs> um, Wrong. Actually, the first two months was it January, February, March? The first three months of twenty nineteen were awesome. Or twenty twenty. Or twenty twenty were awesome, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of people would say that the economy was booming, you know, everything was good. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then it wasn't. <laughs> then it was really bad. <laughs> so I think most people, I think, who, who kind of were aware of what was going on in, in the economy because of COVID are kind of aware that the restaurant industry took a major, major hit. Yeah. Like, can you, like, and and this is, you know, we're talking like restaurants that have been open for years and years and years closed yeah. and are just, they're just gone. So, I mean, just talk about kind of going through COVID and kind of the decisions and what you guys did to, to really get through it. Yeah. I mean, uh, and also talk about some of the frustrations you, you, you had with like, and you know, we don't have to, we're not going to get very political or anything like that, but just talk about like any frustrations that would be common amongst anyone mm -hmm. in the restaurant, restaurant industry during COVID. Uh, well, what I have to say about COVID is like, you had to, you had to be ready to pivot. And, um, in a way, because we were so new, it was really easy for us to pivot because like we had nothing really established. So, I mean, you know, we could, we could change it up if we need to. Um, and we did. I mean, like we, we tried everything. We created a little grocery store, which did not work at all. Cause why? Um, we had a wine shop, which worked pretty well because we do have some really cool, like boutique style wines that maybe you won't find anywhere else. Um, and then obviously we did takeout and delivery and, we made sushi. Like we, I mean, we had, we had the whole, we tried everything we could because like at the end of the day, COVID was literally survival. Like it wasn't like, it was like drop whatever you're trying to do, you know, like, like just survive. And so that was kind of like, I mean, it was hard and easy, you know, like some days I would come in and I'd be like, man, we're not going to make it. But I would have my dad there. Who'd be like, Hey, keep your chin up. We're going to make it. And then some days he would come in and say like, hey, we're not going to make it. 
you know, and I'd be like, come on, man, let's do this. Like we got it. And, uh, we kind of just used each other to keep pushing forward. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, as far as like what COVID was, I mean, I would say survival, you know, and, um, apart from the fact that like people were getting extremely sick, you know, like we had to worry about that. And then you also have to worry about like, am I get is my business going to stay alive? Um, yeah. And, you know, there was obviously some really frustrating things that happened, um, for restaurants in particular, the rules that we had were so strict. Um, and I'm not right. talking about like, oh, you you know, you can only see, like you have to wear a mask all day and stuff like that. Like that was kind of the rule for everyone. But there was stuff like you can only see people inside who, you know, the tables have to be six feet in distance. And when they sit down, they're allowed to take off their mask. But when they stand up, they have to put their mask back on. Like things like that where you're like, does this rule make sense? Does this, does this thing that's going on make sense? You know, like, right. You know, like, or you can only eat outside. Which, you know, okay, that's a better rule. That makes more sense, you know? Yeah. But, like, just some things, like, just, like, you know, things like that. Or there were there were some crazy health department rules, too, that were absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, people got – we got fined. We got – I mean, we went through it all, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely – I could definitely – I definitely see that just because, like, even, you know, here in San Francisco, like – you know, and San Francisco is definitely one of the more, I would say, cautious cities in terms of the the COVID the COVID rules and the COVID um, measures. Um, you know, not not that every other city didn't didn't take it seriously as well, but here, like I think the lockdowns were, I would say, a little bit longer and whatnot. But so like even when you know when the bars here in North Beach, you know, a, you know, really fun neighborhood here in the city, opened up. I mean that first that first Friday. <clears throat> this it was you couldn't the fire trucks couldn't get or the fire trucks were the only cars that could make it through and that's because they have to like, yeah fire trucks so like the people moved out of the way literally only for the fire trucks yeah and that too like they were slowly making it through it was it was crazy packed and it was all outdoors like you couldn't be inside if you were inside to order a drink you had to wear a mask and like i think the, the rule was you have to be six feet apart but like <clears throat> You know, you can't really control that many people. Oh. Like, they, it was just like, whatever. Um, but it was just, and it went from that for like maybe a couple weeks. And then uh, the Delta variant was the first one, right? So then like, you know, when things were on the come down, they opened everything, those outdoor dining and stuff. Then Delta came, they shut everything down back to zero. Yeah. Like, so it literally went from like, you were serving at full capacity, really, just everything outside, like... Yeah to zero yeah and then things come down back to like packed places again then back to zero and like again like i think our government didn't quite know and health and safety and stuff like the experts didn't know i mean you know how can they look back now and be like oh we should have done this but no exactly yeah no one knew dude and and uh yeah the only thing i could say is like it costs a lot of money to open and close and open and close. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I can just like, you know, I was talking with a friend at the time, like I would be, and this must be the most frustrating thing. Like these guys are just, they don't, they, they can't, they can't staff when they need to like a lot. And some of the places like wanted to be open, but like they couldn't find, 
you know, a bartender or a server or a chef in time to be open for this. So like, it was just a, it was just really a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, um, it was pretty, it was pretty insane, but you know, hopefully we are knock on wood completely out of that. And, um, yeah, it seems pretty yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> um, just trying to talk about now, I mean, now it being 2022, like where, where's the restaurant now? In in your eyes, well, I I ask this question. My dad and I ask each other this question all the time. Like, what would have happened if maybe COVID didn't happen? Where would we be? Um, where are we? You know, and what 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 are we? You know, and and the constant like crisis and fight for what's our identity is still there, um, because we don't really we were we've been a restaurant in open during a pandemic longer than a restaurant open during like normal times you know um i would say the restaurant is definitely going towards the vision that we had originally planned and maybe the way we were already going in you know mid-february of 2020 uh we are definitely you know as far as quality goes and as far as service and our standards they're definitely are back to where you know they need to be um so i would say i mean we're going we're definitely pushing forward and we're definitely evolving. Um, and we're, you know, we're slowly growing. So I would finally in a good position. It feels right. You know, cool. feels right. Yeah. And I guess like as a restaurant, is it important to, because I think part of the restaurant industry is always like, you know, you're always trying to appeal to the ever changing demanding customer how important is it to find that line of, you know, being dynamic in what you're serving, but also staying true to your identity as a restaurant? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question because that's something that a restaurant struggles with, you know, like yeah. for example, and every, everything that I, you know, anything that I tell you right now is not to bash on anybody or to anything like that. Um, the cheesecake factory, for example, the Cheesecake Factory is an extremely successful restaurant group. And their menu is like a thousand pages long. Right? I mean, their menu is massive. I mean, and they appeal to everyone, right? Um, what we are and what we're trying to do and, you know, we're, we want to we just create something where maybe you can eat really good food and have really good service and you don't have to dress up and you don't have to spend a ton of money, you know? But we also want you to be able to just walk in and, you know, just order something and just relax and not have to be like, oh, this is a really fancy place, you know? That's what we want. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, we also want uphold the standards of a place like the French Laundry or like Bouchon or, you know, I mean... I'm super, super in tune with our reservation system. We do private, you know, we do private parties for people. We do, we do tasting menus. We get, we purchase super exclusive wines. You know, we're, we're just trying to give you, but with like luxury is having everything that you want without having to ask for it. Right. So like, let's say I, yeah. let's say you love apple juice. And you go to a restaurant and you sit down and they serve you a glass of apple juice as soon as you sit down. You're like, that's exactly what I wanted. 
You know what I mean? And then they give you like I know you love cheese fries. And then they give you <laughs> fries. You're like, dude, these guys got it. They know what I want. You know? I mean, that's, that's I mean that was that was my first experience at Nicholas Eatery, so <laughs> But that is luxury, you know? Um and that's what we're trying to create. You know, it, just trying to create like luxury maybe you didn't know about or maybe, you know, maybe the luxury that you know, you can go eat at a good restaurant and not have to you can be in flip flops, you know. And that's definitely too. That's that's us, like neighborhood, you know. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the the, the ambiance at Nicholas Cedar, especially like at night when you're sitting outside, like you guys did a really good job with that patio and it just it feels so like relaxing out there. And mm-hmm. like I, I would say too, just me coming as a you know a customer um or yeah like i um you know it's it's definitely the kind of place where yeah you don't you don't need to wear like a suit and tie and call three months ahead for a reservation and it's the kind of place though you put on like a nice pair of jeans and a nice t-shirt and you 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 feel good in what you're wearing you feel good you look good you eat good yeah you know it's just a it's just a vibe you know and i think that that really also i feel like that embodies and this may, may just be my experience, like being in Malibu and being in SoCal, you know, it's just, it's just always just a vibe, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, you get it right. You know, if it, if you can get it right, it's good. <laughs> For sure. So yeah, I mean, you're 26 years old and you are a general manager of a very, very successful restaurant. Talk about that because I think, and you were alluding to this earlier when you were living in um, when you were living in Napa, you said, you know, my dad's the GM of the French Laundry. Not everybody else's dad is, though. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I'm 15 living in this adult Disneyland. You know, like, kind of just talk about, like, what that has been like. And you and I have talked about that, like, kind of personally. But, like, talk about this, like, what it's like being, you know, a 26-year-old restauranter, entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say the biggest struggle is the fact that I'm that age matters to people, you know, like, cause I, I always like say like, just because you're older doesn't mean you're right. Or just because you're have more experience, like doesn't mean that may, you know, it all, you know, and, 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 um, I may have less experience and I know I do. I mean, um, and I know that I'm not always right. Um, but being, being in my position, I, I find it lonely sometimes. Um, in the sense of like, at the end of the day, there's only two people in the restaurant who can, you know, who are there, who make the final decision, you know, and, and regardless of whether or not our chef who's 50, 55 years old, uh, which is our head chef, um, or our sous chef who's 33 or our, you know, you know, server who's 48, you know, it doesn't matter if those people have any ideas of what they want to do at the end of the day, because like if my dad and I think it's right for the restaurant, then that's the decision that we'll go with, you know? And, and, um, I find that, I find that difficult because I don't think that because the moment I, the moment I make a mistake or the moment I do something incorrect, it's all eyes on me. You know, or the moment, like for example, Sunday we had a um, something went wrong with our plumbing, so the kitchen started to flood. 
right? But nobody's like, oh, hey, let's call this guy, let's call this guy. They're like, hey, Lucas, the kitchen's flooding. What are you going to do? You know? And that's it. I mean, that, that's my job. So um, I would say sometimes I find it lonely in that sense that I'm, you know, I'm the only one. Um, another part of that is that it's an extremely, I'm extremely fortunate. Uh, I get to work with my dad uh, who has become very, I mean, it's my dad, but he's become very close, you know, with me and we've become good. We've become friends in a way. Um, and, uh, working with him is awesome because, because of all the experiences that he's had and because of all the knowledge that he has. So I'm able to just pick his brain all day. And that for me is really fun. Um, and so that, you know, there's two sides to it. It's, it's, uh, it's a struggle because of my age and because of my experience, but it's also, you know, kind of like a blessing and I get to do something that I'm becoming better and better at every day and I get to be with my dad and can't really ask for much more. Yeah, you know? definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, we, I, like, I think about this often too. Like, I mean, I, you know, for me, I, I work in public accounting and there's a lot of people my age in public accounting. There, there's a good chance, you know, just in casual conversation with someone, you know, whether it be at a party, at a bar, something like that. If I meet someone in consulting, working in finance, really even working for one of my clients, like there's always like some way you can kind of connect to someone, just somebody else in the working world. But like when you're in such a niche role, like what you have, like it must be really difficult to like just casual conversation. Because I feel like most people will kind of ask like the most like kind of vanilla or like eccentric questions. Like, oh my God, like, like what was the worst thing that ever happened to you in the kitchen or like who's the coolest celebrity that you've served which by the way i'm gonna ask you later <laughs> but like um you know it, it really must be hard to have like an intellectual conversation with someone other like someone outside the restaurant industry because other because outside those people i feel like most people don't actually know yeah i think that's another thing that i didn't really touch on but like relatability is really difficult for me too because um i'm also i'm the employer you know, and <clears throat> a lot of the times, you know, like if you're an employee, you'll talk to another employee about your issues, right? And if you're an employer, you'll talk to another employer about your issues. Um, but I don't really get that opportunity. And most of the people that I know are employees. And so sometimes I have a hard time connecting with people because um, because on that note, not, not necessarily like on, uh, you know not as like communication wise or as friends, but like connecting in business is really difficult because, you know, if I meet someone who's a server and they tell me about something that crazy that happened at the restaurant, I'm not going to take it from the server standpoint, you know, because I'm going to think about it as, okay, well, if I'm the employer, what would I think, you know? Mm -hmm. And even though I have been an employee before and I have been a server before and, you know, obviously I would try to take into account everything, but, just just because of nature my human my nature and who I am and what I'm doing, my position, I know that I would go towards the employer side first, always, you know, and and um that stuff I find difficult. You know, like the relatability and and yeah, I mean it's uh it's a cool world of rest you know, the restaurant industry. But it, it's yeah. a small one. Well do you think like working with your dad and you know, being that this restaurant is something that you guys started, it's not like 
you can just walk away with it, walk away from it very easily. Like, is it hard to keep your personal life and your business life separate? Yeah. Or can you even do that? This is actually something I, we, my dad and I had lunch together today. Um, this is something that I talked to him about. And I said, my, my biggest fear is that I can't walk away. Not that I want to, you know, but my biggest fear is that I can't walk away. And, and, um, my, my, my personal life, I don't have one, you know, like I work all day. I work, I work on my dance off, you know, you've seen me. I mean, yeah. you know, I more and more, obviously, you know, when you're in town and when I have friends, I do my best to not, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to mix it, especially as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, you know, it, it's, you know, there's a great book that, um, that I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I don't know if you do too. Um, I know we listen to a lot of podcasts, but um, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and one of them is called Unfuck Yourself. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's <laughs> I'm interested. It's a really great book because it just talks about like, like you, it talks about your mental state. It's one of those like self help books, right? Um, but this one was super interesting because the guy talks about how you know you're like, he says like. You want to start a business, right? You're tired of your nine to five job. You want to start a business. You have this amazing idea. And on top of that, if you start this business, you'll have more time for you. You know, you'll get, you'll get to make your own schedule. You're the business owner, right? And then you open that business and you realize that you are working more than you ever have in your life, right? <laughs> and you're struggling every day to make it happen. And that's the truth. You know, it's, there's, that's the reality of it, you know? Um, but like, I wouldn't change trade it for anything i you know i have so many ideas for what i want this restaurant group to be um that you know if this is a part of my life you know this is my life I, you know i want i want the people around me to understand that and support me just like i support them you know definitely yeah i mean that's that's really good insight because i think you know a lot of people I was talking to my to my dad about this earlier today too, um, like, you know, the word entrepreneur is a very sexy word. Like the word restaurateur, like saying, you know, you know, here in the Bay Area, you meet a lot of startup founders, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, I've had the chance to meet some of the more successful ones, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, the 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 founder of Reddit, the uh, the founder of Twitter, and all these guys, like. You know, you he those are great stories, and you they they're they're the successful ones, and not to say that they didn't go through their struggles, but like, you know, th those those words like startup, entrepreneur, founder, they they're really just they're really just words because like nobody really truly understands like, I feel like the emotional toll that that takes on you, like it's it's a lot. Like I think there's 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 definitely I think worse things in the world than a startup failing but it's like it's a big deal it is it's like it's a very big deal it's a it takes it takes a lot and so like it's always it's always fascinating for me to see for, for like the it's always fascinating to see that so many people want that and so many people like really strive for that I being one of them but like it's it's very very rare that somebody truly gets like the the insight that you're kind of giving me yeah giving like our listeners that love like what it actually what actually goes behind all of it. And like some way, some may even hear it and be like, it's not worth it. But oh, definitely. you know, to you, definitely it is. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I, if I knew everything 
that I'm doing now, if I knew all that was going to happen, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. Obviously, I'm in it, and I'm you know I'm, I'm I roll with the punches, but um, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's it's uh, like you said, it's not for everybody. Um, it's a full time. I mean, if you want to make it work, uh, I have this great analogy actually that I wanted to tell you. Um, there's a, a gentleman who comes to the restaurant who uh, is very very high up on in Adobe. Um, everybody knows Adobe, right? Yeah. Um, so he's very high up in Adobe. Um, really, really cool guy. And the other day we were, he was in the restaurant with his wife and we were chatting about uh, work-life balance. And he was saying that um, an intern had come to him and had said, Hey man, you know, like I had such a great time. And the, I think it's like a, like a six week program or something like that. And he said, I had uh-huh. a great time in this program. And I just wanted to tell you like, uh, you know, thank you for everything. And I just have a question. Like, how do you maintain your work-life balance? And he said, who told you I had balance? I had a balance in my work life, you know? And he said, work-life balance doesn't exist for me. I just work, you know? And I also live. And, um, but he said, you know, working is like the Olympics, right? So like, for example, like you and I are both swimmers. So we'll use Michael Phelps as the example. But Michael Phelps, I mean, everybody in 2008, 90% of the people who don't swim, who don't know anything about swimming, saw Michael Phelps in glory only, in success only, right? Right. They didn't see him at 5 a.m. in Baltimore waking up and swimming. They didn't see him, you know, swimming on Christmas, on his birthday, on his mom's birthday. They didn't see, they didn't see all the struggles he had to deal with to become what he is. They just saw the glory, right? And so he, you know, he said like working is like the Olympics. Nobody sees you working all day long, trying to make ends meet, trying to make things stay afloat. You know, they only see you when you're successful. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's an interesting analogy because the more I go through this journey, the more I realize that that's true. Yeah. Well, well, do you think it's then, you know, because especially now in today's workforce, like there's, there's a premium on, you know, the word and the, the experience of work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, definitely people, a lot of people, you'll hear a lot of things like work to live, don't live to work. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's things like that. Like, do you think it's okay then not to have a work-life balance and then just accept it and just more of kind of think about it more just live in the present if you're working work if you're enjoying enjoy i mean like how like, what do you think at the end of the day everyone's different for me yeah sometimes work is too much but i'll still go to work every day and i i enjoy what i do i i i genuinely love what i do you know and uh, so for me it's not like i mean even it might be a hassle sometimes to go to work but for me like you know, just because I have to work on Saturday, it's not really the biggest deal because I know that if I put in this effort and this work now that maybe later on, I won't have to work on Saturday, you know? So I wouldn't say that accepting not having a work-life balance is okay. I would just say like, know where you're at, you know, like, know like, you know, if you're 21 years old, you're just finishing college and you're starting in, in a, I don't know, big five, you know, accounting, 
company or, you know, something like that. I don't, you know, I don't know if you're starting a, anything, like understand that you are here to work and, and, you know, you're, you're here to build something so that way you can have that, those things. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to say like, oh, you can just accept not having a work-life balance. Like, no, because I would love to have, I would love to have a work-life, you know, more of a balance. I would love to have that. Um, and I will one day, I will make sure I will. Um, but I think it's like also accepting like, okay, this is where I'm at in the moment. You know, I'm just starting my new job. I just finished college. This is what I need to do, you know, and, and accepting that, you know, like just about being patient with yourself and, and just, you know, sometimes in America we see, we only see the success. Like I was just talking about, like we see, like we see Steve Jobs and we see the iPhone. We don't see Steve Jobs you know, trying to create, do you, you know that he, when he built the mouse for the, for the, um, desktop for MacBook or whatever, Mac, desktop, yeah. whatever. Um, the, 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 I think it was the iMac at the yeah. Macintosh at the time. When he, when he started that, when he built that, he wanted the mouse to be, um, the ball on the mouse to be like base, basically, um, um, infinity. Right. So he didn't want it. He didn't want it to stop. He wanted it to be very smooth. Right. And engineering-wise, it was like nuts. You couldn't do that. But he found a group of people who made it happen. But no one knows about that. They just got it. And they bought the thing. And they're like, wow, this is incredible. This guy's thinking about everything. You know? And, yeah. And it's stuff like that. And so, like, we just have to, like, I think we just have to accept where we're at. And move, no, for sure. And move up from there. For sure. Yeah. Um, definitely. I mean, that, that's, that's really good insight. And that's really good. I mean, I learned something today, so I got a little inspired just now. So, um, no, I mean that that's really great, and it's it's really cool to kind of hear, kind of like what what's been the fuel behind the success of Nicholas Eater, um, and you know, you're obviously a huge part of that. So, what's like what's next for you? And I know you mentioned it earlier, like the Fenucci Restaurant Group, like. What's next for you? What's next for your dad? What's next for the... Where do you guys go from here? Yeah, that... And I, oh, keep going. Well, no, like, I know part of that is, you know, there's a second location opening up. Um, but, like, wh- where, where's, like... You know, when you were saying, like, where, where do you, I guess, see this all going? Sure. Um, in my limited experience, I obviously dream very, very big. Um, it's cool. But sometimes, you know, we brought back the reality. Um... What I say, I mean, from Nicholas Heatery is, is, uh, it's basically what I would, I want it to be the flagship. And I want that to be the standard. Um, we're opening another restaurant, uh, which will be more of like a casual setting as far as restaurants go, but a, a bistro, um, family kind of place. And that's the next place that we're opening. And then, you know, from there, I mean, we're opening, um, a Vietnamese restaurant too on our rooftop, but it's kind of in, it's kind of coinciding with Nicholas Eatery. So I wouldn't necessarily think of it as a whole nother restaurant. You know, it's, it's still at Nicholas Eatery. Um, but so we have some things happening. Um, but as far as the restaurant group goes, I mean, like I would love to one day be able to help other people who are how I am right now, you know, and I, I, uh, I love giving people the experience you know, I, I love, like for me, one of my favorite things to do, and this might sound like really lame, but like one of my favorite things to do is like, if it's your birthday, 
I love to print out on your menu, happy birthday, like Raju or like happy birthday, Stephanie, or, and then give you your own menu. Like for me, that is like so cool that like to think about that, you know? And, um, you know, just things like that. I mean, and I love that. I love giving people, it's just all about the extra touch and, and I would like to be able to kind of expand that and bring it to other places and, and kind of just help, help other restaurants, you know, maybe build my group to be more than, more than just one, you know, more than just two restaurants, you know? And, um, I know my dad, my dad keeps saying like, you have to think you're the one who's thinking of the future, you know, like I'm, he said, I'm almost out, you know? And, and, um, he's only 50 years old. He's got plenty of time left, but <laughs> he says that in the sense of like, you know, like start to embrace it now, you know? And, and so I think, in the future, it'll be just growth, you know, like nice organic growth with, you know, just being able to be super involved in the restaurant community and, and doing our part to bring good food to people. Hell yeah. 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 I mean, we're, we're all kind of, we're all kind of looking back and just, you know, excited to see where it goes. Um, and then, you know, also can you just quickly touch on kind of like your, your, your podcast and kind of. Yeah, sure. Kind of make a little advertisement here for yeah. your podcast. Uh, yeah, so we do uh, we do a weekly podcast um, called We Chef. Um, it airs every Thursday uh, on Apple, Spotify, I think like Google Podcasts, which I didn't even know was the thing. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's essentially just like us talking about our week. Uh, so we just kind of, you know, us talking about our week in the most transparent way possible. So you know, we're cool talking about financials and we're cool talking about like situations that have happened because I feel like you never get that. You never get to actually hear like, you know, the first day that Disney was open that their cement didn't set right. And the water fountains didn't work that I want to hear that because when I hear that, I feel like, okay, what I'm doing right now, I can keep going. So sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think we'll definitely, I'll definitely get you back on here too, and we're, we're going to talk about like the business side of, of a restaurant. Sure, yeah, we'll save that for another day. Cool, yeah. But uh, yeah, before we wrap up here, I did want to ask: We Chef is a very unique name. <laughs> so, can you tell us like the origin of uh, We Chef and where that came from? Origin, and then I'll give you our origin. <laughs> so the real one is that you know, in every kitchen, uh, essentially every kitchen in France. Um, when the chef yells out an order, they're, he, they're just waiting to hear the response back from the kitchen that they heard it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you have like a salad that's ordered, they yell out the salad and then the kitchen just has to respond. So that way they know, the chef knows like, okay, they're going to start making that. Um, and so, every, and the response usually is just we chef because it's very easy to, to say we chef, we chef, you know. Um, yeah. That's, that's how we chef started. Um, yeah. For our friend group, um, <laughs> me, me and... Me, Aaron, and Joe, I would say, Aaron, Joe, and I, um, all like tattoos very much. And so uh, we came up with, Aaron came up with what he thought would be our group tattoo, which is We Chef. And then I'm the only one who, who got it. <laughs> so um, for now, at least. Uh, but yeah, so that's how We Chef kind of got started in friend group. And uh, now, it's, now it's like a neon sign in the restaurant. And then all through that, that's the... That's the coolest neon sign ever, man. That, for my wedding gift, that's what I want. Yeah, a wee chef, Raju. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but no, man, it's it's really great to hear and like really exciting to to kind of like. I almost feel like I've been I've been part of this journey with you guys, and <laughs> I I joke to everyone that I'm a investor in the restaurant uh, because I gave you guys an iPad a long time ago. So yeah, I guess as long as it's still part of the restaurant, I'll always I'll always find a way to be <laughs> call myself an investor. But no, I mean I don't tell you this enough. I don't tell your dad this enough. Um, super proud of you guys. Super thank you, man. You know, super uh, super really excited and just like um, it's it's an honor like being able to say that like you got you're like one of my best friends. I I love telling people like anytime they say like. We're going down to LA. We're driving through Malibu. We're going. We're going down there. I'm always like, go to Nicholas Eatery. It's right off the PCH. Like you got to go check it out. And it took me a while, but uh, slowly and slowly, I'm starting to get people there. And yeah. I love getting the pictures from them. They always take. They always take pictures with you guys, yeah. which I love too. Like, um, and I love just love getting those pictures after. And it's like it's so cool for me. So definitely, yeah, yeah man. Just definitely, definitely proud of you guys, man. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much, Reggie. It's, uh, it's, you know, having you as a friend also has just been awesome because you met me when I was at a very low time in my life and, uh, you know, and our friendship has, has, uh, has persevered. So I appreciate that, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, we, we, we've got many, 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 many more years to come. So wanted to give a shout out to the other guys, Dave, Joe, Sam, Aaron, uh, you know this this podcast. Hope to get you all on here eventually. And, yeah, it'd be cool to do like a group you know, with all of us, dude. I'm telling you, I think what I'm gonna do is just next time we're all together, and that's the thing to get all six of us together. I'm pretty sure it's literally the last time it happened was at our high school graduation. Was uh, or, or it must have been like senior week or whatever. Like it, it doesn't happen very often. Just given that now one of them is serving our country overseas. It's going to be a little while before that happens. But when it does, I'm just going to put a camera and a mic down and we're just going to get some natural conversation. <laughs> I don't know if it'll be safe to air, but we'll have it documented for us. It'll be like in the secret files. <laughs> no, for sure. Uh, but dude, man, thank you so much for uh, being my, my first guest on the show. Dude, thanks, man. I, I really, you know, for those of you listening to... Um, Thank you so much. This is episode episode two, but the, the first guest show, the first host show of uh, many, many more to come. So we're definitely really excited and uh, catch you guys next time. Thanks, man. All right. Thank you, everybody. Later.